Okay, so I'm traveling through Indonesia by boat, train, minibike, van, whatever's cheaper. I'm wandering through these little villages, right? Meeting nice people, sticking my nose in cooking pots and holding babies. Hey, old man, what you drinking? Because some liar said they didn't allow alcohol. I'm climbing trees for coconuts. I'm falling out of trees, having a ball, learning about the place. And one evening, I'm staying in a family's compound. I'm sharing rice and curry with about 25 people. I'm asking questions about the house, the food, the school. But then, as many questions as I have for them, they have questions for me. Hey, do all Americans live in a big mansion? No. Is American food more tasty? Then this, no. How many guns do you carry every day? I don't carry any. How many times have you run away from the police? Run from the police? That's not a good idea for a black man. And everybody sounds disappointed. Why don't you ever run away? You need a faster car. You're just going to make it past the county line. Huh? And what? And somehow it occurs to me. That deep out here in the Indonesian bush, somehow, they are watching that 70s Dukes of Hazard about two idiot brothers getting into scrapes, and they're watching it like it's documentary. Everybody's upset. You should run like a man. <sighs> like a man. And honestly, I am not sure. Can you escape the police by going to the next county? Does, does that work? I have no idea. Here I am trying to figure out their country when I don't even know my own. So today, on Snap Judgment, we proudly present The Hitchhiker's Guide to America. A story from a land you only think you know. My name is Ben Washington, and I am unarmed. When you're listening, Snap Judgment. Now then, have you ever been driving down an empty highway, watching the occasional tree whiz by, and wondered to yourself, anyone out here? Sensitive listeners should know this piece does contain a description of a car accident. It's a story of a man who always wanted the home he never thought he'd find. Snap judgment. In front of me is a bunch of land, hills, hills, you don't see many telephone poles, and easy mark gas station, there's no houses. It's early morning out on the edge of a hot and dry California highway. A man with a long gray beard, a Cornhusker's hat, and light blue jeans walks out of the woods from a scrubby trail that you can hardly see from the road. I stay away from society as much as I can. And I stay here in this 
not let nobody see me come in and out. They won't even know, and what they don't know ain't gonna hurt them, and I ain't gonna hurt nothing. And if you give me a place where I don't have to deal with uh, people. There goes a rabbit across the field. I've heard some turtle doves out here, and I got a bobcat, and he'll scream at night real loud and kind of make the eerie sound. We can, go, we can go the other way if you want to. His name is Gregory, and we're some of the only visitors he's ever had. He walks us back along his rocky trail for about 10 minutes, through scrub brush and dry streams, back here to his secluded little camp. I had this here up here in the tree in case somebody did come by. What is that? It was what I call my mailbox. If I ain't here, just leave a note or something in that box. And then I'll know whether you, you know, come by or not. Has anyone left you a note in the box? Not yet. He lights up a cigarette. I make this place feel like my own because everybody's got to have their own place. Yeah. Okay, well, this is uh, actually my hut. Uh, I'll let you look inside. I got plenty of room if you can see how his hut is in the shape of an a-frame made of tarps and wood and there's an afghan blanket hanging where a door normally would be but these are some deer horns and on his bed there's another afghan spread on top i love afghans my grandmother and them used to sit for hours in rocking chairs and make them start this little home cook stove there you go and Make some coffee. Let's warm it up. It's a long way to what I want. But it's a start. To build his hut, he found some pine trees and cut them down with a handsaw to make a frame. And then he dragged in some tin he found on the side of the road to make a roof. I watch the stars move around at night. Makes you wonder what's out there sometimes. Sometimes I'll get my guitar out and make up a song and uh, look around at what I might do today. Funny, a woman can come home. So wild and free. I look at sometimes like I'm here five years from now. And uh, nobody said nothing. Nobody says nothing. You know, it's just, it's kind of like I got another part that I put in a song, you know. It sure does feel good to feel invisible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, because it, it really does. It feels really good to feel invisible to where nobody knows you're, you're there. Touch me as if I would go. If something happened to me, what she could, you know, could do. What were you hiding from? From the fact of humiliation from the family or explanation. Since he was a kid, Gregory dreamt of building a family like the ones from the TV sitcoms he watched. I wanted to uh, be married, have some kids, some land, and a house. Kind of like the Brady Bunch and, and the Partridge family. Gregory never had anything close to a TV life. 
because Gregory grew up on the road. We never really had a permanent place to live. My dad played music. He traveled a lot. Mama, she'd have a waitress job or, you know, in the honky-tonks and bars, and, and uh, daddy'd be playing the guitar. He used to be called Danny Curtis and the Nashville Express. When me and my brother went to work for him, he called us the new Nashville Express. He would say when we was on stage, he'd say, well, here's a Gregory, he's our bass player. He's born in Oville, California. And that's just the way the life was ever since I can remember with him. School and playing music and uh, having my recreational time was pretty much a challenge. We didn't get home to two or three o'clock in the morning sometimes on school nights. Gregory toured with the New Nashville Express with his stepdad, mom, and brother for years. They drove around in a 67 Cadillac. He grew up in honky-tonks and pool halls, singing songs about other people's lives. We've done a lot of Ray Price, uh, you know, like Hank Williams Jr., Take These Change From My Heart. Uh, every song is a love song. And in 1984, in a smoky bar in Hutchinson, Kansas, Gregory and his father were drinking beers, a lot of beers, and playing a game of pool. It was a game that would bring Greg the one thing he'd always wanted. We were playing for Harley-Davidson. And... Uh, we were shooting, and I was at to the eight ball. Going to win. I was going to win. But the one thing he'd always wanted wasn't a Harley Davidson. All of a sudden, my left eye caught this gorgeous blonde female sitting at the table that had just walked in. And I just stood up and backed up from the shot. And uh, I looked up here and looked over and said, You know what? I don't need no Harley. And I walked over to her and just sat down. She said, who are you? I said, I don't know who you are neither, but would you like to dance? Still by my side the next morning. And uh, I said, you know what? I got to get something serious with this one. I can't let this girl go for some reason. She's about the only one that did stay with me anywhere I went. I married her about six months after we met. He felt like he was closer to finally getting that settled family life he'd always wanted. Kind of like Tom, Tool Time Taylor or Home Improvement. Two years after me and her met, we had our baby and named her Tabitha. She was five pounds, 11 ounces, 21 inches long, and uh, just a blessing in life. I mean, it was just uh, something we needed. We had in the trailer, we had a sound system that I had got so we could hear the baby cry if we was in the bedroom. I'd sit and play the guitar to her at night when she'd go to sleep. Uh, one called, I uh, had a little monkey. I fed him on gingerbread. One that Nat Stuckey does that was really my favorite called The Sun's Coming Up. 
seemed like we were just on the verge to uh, of having kind of what we both wanted. She needed me, and and I needed her. I mean, it, it, talking about it gives me a pretty wonderful feeling. One night, Tabitha was about nine months old, and the family decided to go on a drive. We went driving the back roads, gravel roads, and uh, sightseeing with the baby. We'd show her the squirrels and, and deer we'd come across and stuff. And uh, we were just having a good family outing. I'm driving. No seat belts, of course, all we have lap belts anyways, and tabs are between us. And I was going about 35 or 30 miles an hour. She looked over and said, are you driving too fast? I uh, looked at the speed on her and said, no, I'm just doing 35, and I slowed down to 30. Well, it got dark, and a storm come in is what happened. It got this pitch black. The baby, Tabitha, had dropped her baby bottle of milk in the floorboard. and. Uh, I had one hand on the wheel, and she reached down too and said, I can't find it. And I reached down like this to get it, like this to get it. And when I when I come back up, the sharp curve, which I knew the road, I drove it for years, but it was dark and I couldn't see. It knocked me out. Snappers, what happens next will change the direction of Gregory's life forever. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Snap Judgment. Now, we're listening to the story of Gregory's search for a real home. And just when he thought he'd found what he was looking for, his car slides off the road with his new wife and young baby inside. Snap judgment. When I woke up, I heard Tabitha crying. And I already had this sick feeling coming over me, you know. When I found Elaine, she was in the ditch, leaned up against a tree, and Tabitha was right beside me. I said, I had a wreck and I think my wife's dead. They've had to pry Tabitha out of my hands because I wouldn't release her. We both died that day because I'm not that same person I used to be then. With. I lost everything that day. I had to like go into hiding from the humiliation after the accident, it was hard for Gregory to be out in the world. He was crumbling under the gaze of other people. Times that I would stay in my house and not go outside because I couldn't, it would, I wanted to, but that would force me back, you know. And uh, I tried to reach out to her family at the time, and her father just wanted to blame me automatically for what happened. I wasn't going to be the old good go lucky Greg that was helpful to all of them anymore. I was going to be the one that actually killed her daughter. 
and it, it was just nearly impossible to be in the public eye. He was grieving and trying to take care of Tabitha on his own. He was diagnosed with schizophrenia after the crash. I drank quite a bit. Alcohol was my problem through life because I really didn't have a choice not to be being raised up in the honky-tonks and bars. But Tabitha really was only nine months old when her mama died. Gregory tried to rally to make a home for him and Tabitha, but he also had PTSD from the accident. She was my regular little cadet. She went everywhere with me. I mean, if I had to sneak her in a guitar case, she was in it. But they was already, a man ain't supposed to raise a girl. Your lifestyle's bars and honky-tonk. It was just hard. It was tough to do that, you know. She was taken from me because of my situation of bad choices. When Tabitha was 11, she was taken from him and put into foster care. She was moved from family to family and town to town. They took her away on accounts of inadequate housing, inadequate heat, and uh, alcohol abuse. And no matter how many times he tried to create a home... Nothing ever came to what it wanted to be. He got married again, and again, and again, and again, he also spent a couple years in prison. I uh, kind of lost where I was at. He was so lost that he decided to go back to the closest thing he'd ever had to a home. I was born in Orville, and I think it was the longest place that we had been at that I can remember. I got to go to Orville because I got that's what I came. You know, the only place I had to go was a good part of my past, you know. So. I'll kick the old wings on the truck and fart it up. I'm heading straight to California. Gregory had thought about leaving for California lots of times over the years, but he could never work up the courage to actually pack up and go. But one day, about five years ago, Gregory filled up his truck and left for California with thousands of miles in front of him. For some, this would be an easy flight where you're home in time for dinner. But for Gregory, it was one of the greatest undertakings of his life. He still had schizophrenia and PTSD, no backup plan, no personal savings. Mind you, I ain't got but a $20 and a $50 Sitco card. I really wanted to have a nice vehicle and just kick back air conditioner on money and just cruise to California. Well, it didn't happen that way with me, you know. He I did get to... a couple hundred miles west driving his truck, all the way to Oklahoma. I got in trouble with drinking and driving again. So now his truck and his license were gone. He did scrape together some money from his disability checks to buy an old motorcycle. He drove that for about a month. He'd stay in homeless shelters for a few nights or motels when he could afford it, and then back on the road. I took off. Now I'd have a straight, easy shot to California. You know, no problem. Well, it didn't happen. The cops pulled him over for expired plates, and they took away his motorcycle. 
So he went to the train station and bought the cheapest ticket out of town. He zigzagged all over the country, sometimes even heading east in the opposite direction. When he didn't have enough money for a ticket, he'd hide, usually in the dining car. How I got through the terminal, I don't know. But I snuck on the Amtrak. Because them Amtraks, they roll now. They're moving. Now they're fast. They got to uh, Gillsburg, Indiana, and they kicked me off. I was on my campaign trail. I wasn't going back. I was, I was moving. I didn't made up my mind that I was going to make a difference in my life, one way or the other. So when he got kicked off Amtrak for the last time, there was only one more option. But that pretty much the end of my line, except for the boxcars. And that's when I jumped the boxcar, and it was a stinking, like I was telling you, it was a stinking old sewer slop pig train. I got to Benson, Arizona. I stayed to Charlotte Benson. And then I got a ride to Fallon with some people that was coming up this way. After Fallon, I was close to California now. I'm going to make it. And he did make it. As soon as he crossed into California, he headed to Oroville to search for his childhood home. When he finally walked into downtown Oroville, he was looking for the oak trees that marked his old neighborhood and a big house with a porch that was across the street growing up. But nothing was familiar. There was a McDonald's in place of old stores he remembered, and the dirt roads were turned into wide concrete streets. I couldn't find the place I lived at in, in, uh, in California. Like I had stepped into the path a little bit, but not enough. So he was still lost. That's when Gregory just started walking all around Northern California on the side of highways and on back roads, hundreds of miles up and down the state. I walked around California about a year and a half. I walked Golden State Highway for a while and come into Lodi, stuck in Lodi again. And then in the middle of a winter day on a nondescript farm road. I met some boy walking the other way. He asked me to have a cigarette. I said, yeah, I got a little tobacco. He said, you ain't got far. I'm like, ain't got far? Why are you, why are you even saying that to me, you know? I got 100,000 million million miles to go as far as I'm concerned. But Gregory took what that young boy said as a sign. And after years of walking, he stopped. In the heart of California's gold country, about 100 miles from his childhood home in Oroville, he turned off the main road and headed down a narrow dirt path deep into a thorny brush. He kept walking until he got here, a shaded valley protected by tall pine trees. And I pitched a tent. I've been out here ever since. After three years, he's still here, settled on the same land in the middle of nowhere. It's the longest he's been able to be still in a really long time. A place is when you've lived there long enough that you can say, well, over there is where I stumped my toe. <laughs> you know, back uh, six years ago, you know, it's always in my mind to find a place, you know, to settle. That's my water that I carry out. And uh, this is my solar system light that you put out in the sun and it uh, charges up. I actually built an outhouse. It's made out of a 55-gallon barrel. 
I've come to be able to live with my trees, my earth, my land, and the spirit of knowing that sometimes you just got to wait. It comes around. And it may not be exactly the way you want it. Only a couple people know where Gregory lives out here. On this piece of vast, empty land, in his pine tree and tarp cabin, he doesn't have to hide. It sure does feel good to feel invisible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it, it really does. It feels really good to feel invisible to where nobody knows you're you're there. Let me a swing in that tree. Set the swing on. It's okay to be depressed. There isn't nothing wrong with depression, as long as it's you know, not something that'll harm you. And this is where I can be myself. I don't have to put on a front when I'm out here. I don't have to uh, hide my pain if I feel pain. If the accident hadn't happened, I could see us today and she'd be 55. And I actually sung a song yesterday a little bit, making it up out here by myself last night. And it's like, well, we've came a long way. And I'd say, well, are you still where you want to be? And she'd say, well, I'm still with you, am I not? Then this is where I want to be. I just believe that because even though she did pass away, she did die, she was still with me. Though sometimes it seems it ain't worth the troubles at all. It'll be worth the world if somehow I can touch her at all. Thank you, Gregory, for sharing your story with us. Now, since we've been talking to Gregory, he's been offered a hotel room as part of a COVID relief project, but he politely declined. His home has also been threatened by nearby wildfire, but Gregory's staying strong on his patch of land. The original score for that story was by Derek Barber. It was produced by Tessa Paoli. It happened again, I know. I know. And if you missed even a moment, subscribe to the amazing Snap Judgment Podcast. Subscribe because someone's story might change your life. It changed mine. And you want to know how to meet the best people? Wear Snap stuff. They'll come running. The Snap Judgment Studio Shop is finally here. Snapjudgment.org slash shop. Get your Snap Judgment t-shirt. Get a Snap pin. Fly your Snap flag high. Let the world know you snap snapjudgment.org slash shop and I'd love to give up the secrets follow me on the Twitter or the Instagram and if you like ghosties and ghoulies understand that Halloween is almost here season 5 of Spooked It Is Risen available right now on luminarypodcast.com stories from the dark side be afraid stuff is brought to you by the team that always picks up hitchhikers Except for Mark Ristich, the Uber producer, Mark, who generally is a hitchhiker. Anna Sussman, Renzo Gorio, Happy City Miller, 
John Fasile, Shayna Sheely, Marissa Dodge, Nika Singh, Tao Ducat, Flo Wiley, Nancy Lopez, and Regina Beriaco. And this is not the news. No way is this news. In fact, you could hitchhike the four corners of the globe only to decide the best place in the world is your mama's house. But she didn't want you back there. And you would still, still not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is PR.